The WBEN All Local. All Local. A daily look at what's happening in Buffalo, Western New York, and the world. I'm Susan Rose. I'm Brian Mazurowski. In Washington, the Mayorkas impeachment failed last night. Now the House GOP turning their efforts to the proposed bipartisan southern border bill. We have more from the Capitol. The border proposal is part of a wider bill that includes funding for Ukraine and Israel, which also remains in limbo this morning. The bill includes a trigger mechanism. When migrant apprehensions reach 5,000 per day, the border would automatically shut down. But opponents insist that's not enough and still allows too many illegal crossings. Democrats claim Republicans are only opposing the bill because of pressure from former President Trump. It's time for Republicans in the Congress to show a little courage. To show a little spine. Ike Ajachi, ABC News, Washington. We'll have much more on this border bill. What comes next in Washington throughout the morning on WBEN. Meanwhile, back here in western New York, plans for a major film studio to be built in Buffalo have been put on the back burner. Here's WBEN's Brayton Wilson. In a statement released on Tuesday, Buffalo Studios says it has worked hard with numerous groups to make a project to build a 27-acre film studio in South Buffalo a reality. However, in the three years since the project was announced, they say the COVID-19 pandemic wreaked havoc on materials and building costs and sent interest rates hovering at their highest levels in years. It was kind of the unfortunate reality of just the market conditions right now. I mean, about 18, 20 months ago, as interest rates started to rise, investors Investors became much more conservative with their capital and progressively just pulled it off the table. So, you know, we've remained with a small gap. We've been trying to close, but it just became undeniable that we need to take a pause, take a step back, let interest rates start to drop, see how markets react, and then continue to push forward from there. That's Buffalo Studio CEO and Buffalo native Matthew Fleckenstein. The factors directly leading to the project's pause have also led to the project's cost ballooning to a rough estimation of $120 million. Is there an ideal time? Timeline for Fleckenstein and Buffalo Studios to set the wheels in motion once again for this massive project across the street from the Tesla plant in South Buffalo. He says the ideal situation may come in the third or fourth financial quarter this year, but again, it largely depends on where interest rates go and how the markets respond. What it will take to get our shovels in the ground and back going is, you know, investor or investment group uh, that's willing to put cash into the project. We need, you know, a certain amount of cash to service our debt, but also, you know, to do things like remediation. So it's that little bit of cash that's been elusive with investors recently. So, you know, whatever needs to change in the environment for that to happen, that's really going to dictate our timing. More from Fleckenstein is available for you online. Brayton Wilson, WBEN.com News. All right, Brayton, thank you for that. A Michigan jury has convicted the mother of a teenage high school shooter on four counts of involuntary manslaughter. Prosecutors said Jennifer Crumbly ignored her son Ethan's mental health problems, and she and her husband James allowed him to buy a gun. Alex Capriello has more. Where do we go from here? Well, next up is James Crumbly's trial. That begins March 5th, as it's currently scheduled. Sentencing for Jennifer Crumbly, that begins on April 9th. Involuntary manslaughter in the state of Michigan comes with a maximum penalty of 15 years in state prison. We don't know whether or not those sentences for her four counts will be served consecutively or concurrently, but that's what we're looking at next. The trial lasted a week. Jury deliberations took two days. If COVID keeps you out of work, how are employers supposed to handle it? WBEN's Tom Puckett tells us a proposal by the governor could clear things up. Governor Hochul is proposing a bill to end the requirement employers provide extra paid sick time for those who have COVID. Employers across the state are often surprised to hear that the law still exists. You know, the public health emergency is over. Um, And so there have been bills introduced to end that, but the latest update 
is that Governor Hochul has introduced a bill as part of her budget package that would sunset the bill as of July 31st. Attorney Kristen Smith calls it a clean break and employees who get COVID just now use the sick time your employers give you initially. She says employers have had a lot of questions over the years. Every time someone, you know, calls and says, I have COVID, sort of have to, you know, trust what they're saying there. Um, although, the, I suppose, the, you know, the law does allow for some documentation to be requested. But, you know, typically someone can just say, I have COVID, and then they get either five or up to 14 days off. Smith believes the COVID sick pay requirement was redundant in a state that already has plenty of sick leave requirements. Hear the full conversation online. Tom Puckett, WBEN.com News. I, a few things struck me. Um, one was just a small line in there where you see a lot of confusion this over the years. Right. The, over the years. It's been years. Yes. You know, so, I mean, we're in 2024 now. Yeah. I mean, it's just been, been years about of this. this since. Unbelievable yeah. to kind of think about that. And then also, you know, I, there are still, I, I'm like stunned every time somebody says something. It's like, oh, I, I got a test for him. Like, why are you uh, testing for COVID now? Well, if it's positive, then it doesn't count against my sick days at work. And you hear people say that all the time. Yeah. Like, what? Like, that's... Right, that still is you know, in effect. He's like, I, I would be at work, but if I have this, I don't have to take any sick days. I can just uh, get off. Okay, that's... And then the next uh, question is, how many days do you get? I, Another great question. Right, you, you have know? to keep uh, doing the test. You have to this, that. Anyways, uh, might all be coming to an end soon. We'll see where that bill goes. A liftgate issue is prompting a big recall of some GM trucks. The concern is that liftgates on 323,000 heavy-duty pickups could open while the vehicle is being driven. The recall impacting certain 2020 through 24 Sierras and Silverados, 2,500 models and larger. The problem traced to an electronic switch that can short-circuit if exposed to water. That's Jeff Gilbert reporting from Detroit. The federal government weighing in on last month's midair disaster on a Boeing 737 MAX 9 jet. Transportation correspondent Gio Benitez has the latest. One month after that terrifying midair blowout, the NTSB says all four bolts meant to hold that door plug in place were missing entirely. In its 19-page preliminary report, the NTSB says the fuselage arrived at Boeing's Renton factory back in August with damaged rivets near the door plug. To fix the issue, the door plug was opened and bolts had to be removed. But the NTSB says evidence shows that when the plug was returned, the bolts were not put back. Okay, Gio Panitas with the latest in that investigation. That's incredible that so there were no bolts there whatsoever but that plane apparently in that condition flew about 150 times before the door fell off time after time and you think about that it's not just flew 150 times had 150 opportunities to maybe catch the problem it sounds more and more like they didn't even know that a problem existed or or that that was an issue to begin with so crazy story and uh, i'm sure we'll be hearing more about this seems like something new every single week for sure The college student who made himself a pseudo-celebrity for tracking the private jets of high-profile people has been told to stop. Jack Sweeney has received a cease and desist letter from the lawyers of Taylor Swift. Swift's lawyers say tracking her plane amounts to stalking and harassment and puts her safety at risk, alluding to a man arrested three times after lurking outside her New York City home, the latest incident just weeks ago. Swift's lawyer adding, this reality has forced our client to live her life in a constant state of fear for her personal safety. Taylor Swift isn't the first celebrity he's tracked. Sweeney first made headlines for tracking Elon Musk's private jet. 
That is pretty creepy. So you remember this with the Elon Musk yes. story? Everyone was, you know, going all over Elon Musk, like, oh, you know, oh, you know, banning somebody from Twitter, taking action against somebody, doesn't like that his jets being tracked. What a bad guy! Are people going to come at Taylor Swift with the same type of I energy? Think you, I don't know if you, you can. You have to. Right. Come on, right. keep it up. If it's true for one person, it's got to be true for everybody. Your exclusive WBEN 7 weather forecast. Partly sunny skies today with temperatures in the mid-40s this afternoon. For your Thursday, partly to mostly cloudy skies. A little milder with highs near 50. Low 50s with a few showers on Friday. With your exclusive WBEN 7 weather forecast, I'm Chief Meteorologist Aaron Minkowski. Joining us on the line is Brian Eldridge of Courier College Prep talking about something we've seen over the past few weeks. Well, over the last few years, fewer and fewer colleges have been requiring SAT scores. But is that changing? In the past week, Dartmouth College has decided to reinstate the SAT as a requirement to attend college. All can be very confusing for people who are in that process right now of how to apply for a college and choosing the school you want to go to. Brian, joining us right now, helping kids make that decision and prepare for these tests and other things. Thanks for joining us this morning. You know, Brian, I think that confusion, it has to be higher than ever of what to do, what not to do. Absolutely. Brian, good morning, Susan. Thank you for having me. Uh, no no doubt about it. Uh, just what it was a sensible response, right? The test optional policy during COVID, kid, kids couldn't test and the test centers were, were shuttered. And so, Colleges, you know, made the move. They shifted to test optional, but three plus years removed. There's still over 1,800 institutions, but the messaging and the college's differing approaches to test optional policies can really be confusing for applicants and their families. So if you have a student with a score, you know, you're researching, okay, what's the middle 50% range at that school? And, and you can find that online at a bunch of, bunch of different sites. But that range itself is inflated because the policies have created this self-selected cohort of senders. So rather than, you know, 90% of kids 10 years ago, eight years ago sending, it might be 40% or 20%. So like the range will shift up. So now if a, if a student has a list of maybe 12 schools, five may get scores and seven might not, you know, so you're withholding. So context matters. And I think the messaging has been at least translated at, at some level, parents here, students here test optional, it's translated as tests don't matter. And that's just not the case. So um, even under that test optional umbrella, right, you have testing preferred schools like in Auburn or in Ohio State. Uh, and if that's, you know, sometimes this, this, it, the, the news hits them late. If I get a call in the fall and Ohio State's their number one, but they weren't aware of the nuance that Ohio State prefers testing. And you can look it up and, you know, 70 to 80 percent of kids are sending. And then come October, it's almost too late. It, it's not too late to test, but it's really too late to prepare and to really go after your best score. So what I advise students do is to really, and parents, get granular with the research. Uh, check out the stats. Go to Common Data Set. Google a school's name with Common Data Set. And look at the percentages of students who submit. If it's 60, 70, 80% or higher, that's a test preferred school, even if that's not explicitly stated. And if you see language on a school's website that says testing is recommended, that should translate to me as required. Just like, just like interview season, when they say an interview is optional, uh, it's not, or at least it shouldn't be. Uh, it shouldn't be taken that way. So yeah, it is. It is. It's really, really confusing. Uh, I think for students to uh, to navigate this landscape right now. You know, I'm wondering, Brian, do these tests favor students of privilege because they have access to tutors? It's a great question, and I and I think that was 
a stronger point to be made, a stronger argument in favor of maybe, you know, the fair test movement or test optional. But in the last 10 years, I mean, TikTok videos on te- the, the, what the resources that you and Brian and I that we never had growing up. There are so many unbelievable free resources that can be accessed by students now that I do think that absolutely there's still a correlation. It's just true. Like one-on-one tutoring could be expensive. And so it does create that divide. But there's so many other things also, I think, that that have that socioeconomic barrier to them, whether that's the extracurriculars that kids can pursue, whether that's the number of APs that a school can offer, summer programs that a kid can attend in a pay-to-play way. So it's still there, but I do think it's diminished a bit as online resources have just mushroomed over the last decade. So you're telling people to really pay attention to what schools want to see, what they're looking for. I, typically, what do you recommend? Because I remember in the process of going to college, I didn't know where. You know, I, I, I knew right. I wanted to go to college, I, but there's no dream school. There's no, like, one goal or anything. Just, you know, I'll apply to a bunch of places, and I don't know, I'll make the decision at sure. some point. How, for those students who don't really have a singular focus, is the recommendation just to, well, just take it or do it anyway? You know, I always think that the upside, it definitely outweighs not taking it because even if you never end up sending the score or if you never even, you know, or maybe you started a community college or a trade school, whatever the case may be, when you're preparing and doing your best to put in the preparation for a test, you're coming away with all these fundamental skills and knowledge that are in my opinion, going to serve you well beyond high school, whether that's critical thinking, strong written communication, data analysis. I mean, these are fundamental skills that are going to benefit a student. So, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's sort of like, hey, it's Pascal's wager. You can't hurt you by doing it. And even if you don't know where to go, at a good number of schools, strong scores can translate into money and scholarships, right? Merit aid, schools still tie merit aid to a strong score. So why not? Why, why not chase it? Anything you could do to lower the cost of college, even if you have no idea where you want to go initially, I think that forward-looking approach makes sense, especially, you know, when, when you see how detached college tuitions become from reality. When tests were optional, did you notice were applications up or down at colleges and universities? Do we know? And that, so, that, so there was such a surge the, the, that first pandemic year, especially at what they call the Ivy or the Ivy Plus schools, I mean, exponentially more applications because of test optional, which makes the Dartmouth case interesting because what their studies found is by going test optional, it was actually disadvantaging um, students, applicants from less resource families. And again, it found that testing was a better predictor of success. So it'll be... I, I, Again, it's a small sample size, right? It's just Dartmouth, Purdue announced the same thing last year. I'd like to see what the application numbers do because these schools received a deluge, which made it even more challenging for students that would have been applying to, say, these 20, top 20, 30, 40 schools five, six years ago. Now they're swimming against this, this just tide of test optional applications. So it could be harder to let that strong score stand out. Um, so I applaud in a vacuum. I applaud Dartmouth for doing it because I think the rationale makes sense. And, and what they basically found was students that were sending these scores, they were better able to succeed at the level that their students traditionally did. MIT found the same thing. Georgetown found the same thing. You know, Brian, we were just talking about the surge in applications to a lot of these schools that happened in the past uh, couple of years after these SAT requirements were dropped. We were listening to 
a piece, uh, an interview somebody was doing a little bit earlier this morning. And, you know, in there they said, well, you know, it's maybe discouraging a lot of people who would have applied to these colleges but are a little intimidated by the test. And I heard that and I thought, well, maybe that's the point. Um, you, you know, if a, a Dartmouth and not all schools are created equal, there are probably schools that say, well, listen, if you don't want to take this test that people have been taking for so many years, I don't know if you're going to fare too well here. That absolutely, I think I think that's a great encapsulation of it. There's always I've, I've asked my kids and families to you know pretend it's 20 years ago. Just just play the game in a way where it would have been, where you would have been, you know, when we were going through it. And there's always going to be a tier of schools where testing the the threshold is really high. And that to me, that's the way it it should be. I mean, there's going to be no shortage of schools that maintain the test optional policy, but. I'm all for a set of standards and returning a bit of meritocracy to the world of college admissions where it seems to disappear a little more and more every year. I mean, applications, there's a lot of squishy, soft inputs, a lot of subjective inputs that can be massaged and manipulated. And like it or not, um, standardized tests, they they are an objective measure, right, Uh, with reliable predictive power. And so you don't have to go that route. But I, I do think it's a good thing to have it. Who knows who follows Dartmouth? I do think that there'll be schools that Let's talk about the Texas public school system doing it. Florida never went. Public schools never went test optional. And that's a very competitive um, ecosystem of schools down there. So I think it should. Students should have a goal. It should be motivating. Um, I, meet the moment. Do, do the work. Preparation is separation. And, and uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think that there should be schools that have these, that have these standards and students should, uh, should seek to, to meet or exceed them. To, to just strengthen replication, it's still no guarantee they're going to get in. Dartmouth is still a single, it's still a single-digit admit, admit rate school. It's it's very scary. So even a fifteen fifty guarantees you nothing, um, but at least you know you took a swing, and big big swings are uh, something I applaud. All right, hey Brian, thanks for joining us this morning. I really appreciate the time, Susan. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. That's Brian Eldridge with Courier College Prep. That's the WBEN All Local. All new episodes are made available each weekday morning. Produced by the award-winning WBEN Newsroom.